0: Good morning, my name is Carrie and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the Hope Collective and I just want to welcome you this morning. Um, we all come in here at, with just different agendas, we do, we can't help it, we come in with different agendas, some of you crawled in here, some of you came for the free childcare. I get that. Uh, some of you came because it's just what you do on a Sunday morning. Some of you may have never been to church before and this is the first time you have decided to walk into a building. And here's what I want to say before I dive into what I believe is a message for all of us today. Um, however you come into this space, you're just welcomed here. And you don't have to actually believe what I believe to belong here. You can be in a wrestle You can be in a struggle. You can be all about killing it for the kingdom and you are welcomed here. Um, Because here's the honest truth is that I come as a pastor believing and unbelieving sometimes. Like life is real and life is hard and life is grand Life is beautiful and it is broken. And so if we try to come and pretend that we are something that we are not or that we come into this space pretending in some way, then we miss the moment that we get to have with Jesus where we get to bring our broken, beautiful self. So I'm going to pray that uh, right now. I'm going to pray and, and, and what I'm going to pray is that we would come honest, Now, you don't have to stand up and be honest. You can just be honest like a tractor beam with you and Jesus right now. But however you are, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit entices your heart to say, come just as you are. Jesus, we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you have something to say, always something to say, and this morning, God, I ask for all of us that we would come in honesty. That freedom, it doesn't come by faking it till we make it. Freedom doesn't come by pretending life isn't what it is. Freedom comes when you are present in the pain and you are present in the purpose. And so God, help us today. Help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that is honest So just as we set our hearts before you in this moment, would your spirit rest upon us? Would the whisper come just to say, it's okay. You can come. You can sit. You can hear. I see it all. And I'm just so glad you came today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're starting a new series and I get to be the one to like, you know, hit it out of the park for you. Uh, And we're starting a series called Plot Twist. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about why we are doing a series called Plot Twist. (laughs) And the reality is, is that we want to, kind of paint a picture for you of what it means to move past behavior modification and into heart transformation because we hear a lot about living an abundant life right we hear the scriptures god has an abundant life for you jeremiah 29:11 like we don't know a lot of scriptures but we know that one you know and like jesus john 3:16 like we know those two pretty good because we desire to have an abundant life but the reality is i've been doing this a long time i know you guys are all shocked that i am you know not in my twenties, but I'm not. Uh, And the reality is of what I have seen is that abundant life feels like something we love to talk about, but many of us are not experiencing. And, and, And I'm tired of that. Aren't you? Don't you actually want to hear what Jesus says and have it actually apply? I do. And the wrestle has been that it's not always felt like that. And so we are going to dive in for the next few weeks on what does it look like to actually move into heart transformation, which means you don't get to just consume what I say, you actually get to participate and I'm gonna give you homework. So that's fun. You thought you had a break for those students that are here in the room? It's no longer e-learning you're actually in class, um, so that's awesome. I love movies. I love any kind of movie that um, just, like, inspires me. My husband freaks out when we have to go see a movie because one, I talk during movies. I'm an extrovert, so I talk through the whole movie. I'm the worst to go to movies with. I'm like, what are they doing? I can't believe they're doing that. Babe, why are they doing that? And he's like, I'm watching the same movie as you. I don't know. <laughs> And I don't, uh, you know, I just like, I get so, and I'm, oh no, 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 don't go down there. Oh, can you believe it? She's going down there. And he's just like, please stop talking. He's used to it now. I don't even think he hears me now. But every time I watch a movie without fail, whatever I'm watching, I want to become. So one of my favorite movies is this movie, 300. Don't judge me. I know it's rated R. You know what? I've, I'm just, I'm working out my salvation, okay? And so I love this movie because it's an underdog story of the Spartans, right? And there's like 300 of them and they take on the Persians and it's this awesome story. And he does this one line, if you've ever seen it, this guy comes to like stand up against him from the Persian kingdom and Sparta's like ripped and they you know, just like barely wear anything. And they're just like, yeah, we don't need armor. We're gonna take everyone on. And I just feel like that's me all the time. You know, like, I'm not that I don't wear anything. I do wear things, but like, you know, I feel like I'm gonna take on their armies. And and he stands there and the guy's like, you better bow to the Persian king. And he's standing on this edge of like this giant abyss, well thing. And he just looks at him and he goes, I am Sparta, and kicks him into the well, and I am sitting, watching the movie, and I go, yeah, in the theater. I was so in it. Like, I just want to be in it, you know, and like the rest of the day, I'm telling Mario, I'm like, I need to take karate. I think I need to take, like, (laughs) jujitsu or something, like, I am Sparta, you know, like I'm a warrior. And Mario's just like, all right, this will, this will pass. I mean, I, I, it's why I don't watch romantic comedies because when I, or, or even any kind of romantic movie, because without fail, I mean, like The Notebook, you know, give me a break. I watch that and then I walk in to see my husband. I watch it on a plane. I walk in to see Mario and I go, you don't love me, right? And he's like, what did you watch? Of the Notebook. I watched another one about some, it was with Channing Tatum and I can't remember the name, but he had, um, she got amnesia in a car wreck, but he just kept pursuing her, pursuing her. And I'm like, would you love me if I had amnesia? He goes, you wouldn't know. (laughs) Was like, that was his way out. I go, I would know and I would haunt you from the grave, brother. You can't get rid of me. Like, but it affects me. I mean, a good movie should affect you. And there's something we love about, like a good movie sets up like the backstory, you know, like the matrix. Like, I mean, who doesn't use that pill, that that reference even now? You know, like, oh, you're taking the blue pill, huh? Or whatever pill it was, I don't know. But we, we're so affected by this because... Something inside us, when we watch a good movie, the scene is set, there's foreshadowing, and there's always an emergent, not always, but the ones we really love, there's like an emergent of the underdog hero, right? Where like there's something about the story that was broken now got redeemed, and we love it, and we love it because there's something inside of us that rings true. When we watch even if we watch a fantasy, there's something about the redemption story, the, the idea that what was broken is now made new, that what was against you now is for you. And we root for it because as we watch, we can't help. It's human nature. It's even how our psyche is, is, is lined up to be relationally connected, that when we're watching something, we go, man, that could be me and there's something inside you that starts to come alive and and you leave that moment, I am Sparta, that something inside me goes, I wanna fight against evil. I I wanna stand for what is right. You know, when there's a love story, I wanna wanna be connected and held and belonged. It's how we were actually made. And I think when we look at the story of the word of God, we look at it like in segments, like we take a scripture out. And that is why it is so important Bring your Bible, bring your Bible here. And, and it's, it, this isn't to condemn you or you don't have a Bible or the apps work or whatever, bring your word. Because I could lie to you <laughs> and tell you out of context. You need to know how things line up. You need to check, you need to fact check me. You should be fact checking me. Cause I just can't go say anything I want. You read it on your, your little app. You don't see the context of it. Bring your word bring your words so that you can be grounded not that you can please me but so that you can know where you come from your earth stories you all came from somewhere <laughs> you have a genealogy and a line right i'm italian my husband is italian i mean we are third generation i think italian second generation second generation italians my grandpa's from italy his grandparents oh you're third generation babe yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> Well, we come from Italy, and those Italians have a story. Those Thank you, yeah. Those Italians come from somewhere, and those Italians have genealogy and legacies. You you come from something. You come from a story. And I think so often we come into the room, and we're kind of like, meh, I am who I am today. I don't know how I got here. I don't know where I'm going. God seems good. I'll try him on for size. The reality is, is that, You don't just come from an Italian line or a Greek line or a Euro line. You come from a genealogy that has an er story to it, a beginning story. That's why we read that scripture. Your er stories, which are your old er, your foundational story really started in a garden. If you started to hear the picture of the garden, this is something that when I watch a fantasy movie or I imagine, oh my goodness, the people that created this movie are image bearers of God and they have some sort of God's mind. And can you only imagine what it would have been like in the garden? I mean, all of the plants pleasing to the eyes, rivers going out from it, animals everywhere, utopian, beautiful. And we kind of read that and we go, yeah, yeah, we, we saw that when we were kids on the felt board. The little Adam and Eve and they ate the apple and they sinned and then they were naked. You know, like we, we know that. But I don't think you understand that you came from this. You were made for this. You are wired, your brain is wired for a garden, for peace for shalom, for goodness, like it was wired for that. And then something happened. Peace was broken. And if we don't understand where we come from, we won't understand how to live the abundant life that he promises for today. In Genesis 3, I'm gonna be giving you some scripture today, so get your Bibles out. Genesis chapter 3 Verse 1 through 7, we're going to read right now. Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the, true, the, the, the fruit from the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. "'No, you will not die,' the serpent said to the woman. "'In fact, God knows that when you eat it, "'your eyes will be opened, "'and you will be like God, knowing good and evil.' "'The woman saw that the tree was good for food "'and delightful, uh, delightful to look at, "'and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, "'so she took some of its fruit and ate it. "'She also gave some to her husband, "'who was with her, and he ate it. "'And then the eyes of both of them were opened, "'and they knew they were naked. "'They sewed fig leaves together "'and made coverings for themselves.'" Here is what we were created for, perfect peace, right standing, bodies that love each other that have no shame. There is no covering, there is no darkness, there is no sadness, there is no brokenness. This is how we were made and your bodies are still made for it. Your brains are still wired for the garden. They are wired for relationship. They are wired to tend and care for that which God has given you. It's beautiful. And then something happened. Something happened in the garden where the enemy comes. And this isn't a story just for you to listen to on a felt board. This is happening today. And we'll get there just a second. But in the garden, the enemy comes, hates the fact that there is peace and beauty and communion with man and God. And begins to give seeds of doubt. Did God really say, is he really good? Does he want your best interests in mind? Let's be honest. If you eat of this tree, God's actually scared that you're going to become like him. And what he does in that moment is actually takes parts of truth and twists it. Because the reality is, is that Adam and Eve, once they touched of it, did become more like God. In the sense of knowing good and evil. You see, the garden was there for their protection. You don't need to know evil. The Bible says to be innocent to that which is evil and wise to that which is good. And so the enemy knew to entice them, to think in some way, you can achieve and have more. That this will be the more this will be the fulfillment of who you are to be. They had everything they needed, but the enticement says move away from what God says and into what you can control so that you can become more like God. This will make you truly happy. This will fill it all. So they eat. And the moment that they eat, they look at their bodies, their beautiful, good bodies. Do you know that you have a good body? That God, when he created you, said, this is good. Mm-hmm. But there's an assault against the goodness. There's assault against what you were created for. And then enemy is hell-bent on keeping you, enticing you, enticing Adam and Eve towards separation from the very God that will love them. Then the man, verse eight, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And, the, and then God calls out to them, where are you? I want you to imagine the picture. They are in this beautiful garden. And I love how beautifully and eloquently and almost poetically, this scripture is written, to tell us about this beautiful garden with all these rivers and all of these animals and this beautiful relationship between man and woman, no shame. The moment that sin enters, the moment that they take a bite, they realize their nakedness and yet the, the, the poetry of how God begins to walk in the cool of the day. That beauty is still all around them and yet, They are ashamed. Beauty is still in their presence. They have not been kicked out. They have not been left. There is beauty still around them. And as Jesus walks in the cool of the day, he goes looking for them, pursuing them. Where are you? He calls out. And he said, I heard you in the garden. This is Adam talking, uh, verse 10. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I just want to stop. I have so much to share with you guys today. It's why I can't be that funny. Okay, so the tree I commanded you not to eat. Even when we hear that verse, what's the tone? What's the tone that you hear? Shame. I think when I listen to it, when I first started to read it, I hear, Did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat? This harsh, strong, condemning voice. And yet God says the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance, that his tone is kind, his tone is inviting. And so then when I read it, I hear, did you eat my child? From the tree that I commanded you not to eat the brokenness in his voice as the father is grieved for the now separation between him and the love of his life, his child. The man replied, which I love this, patriarchy in motion. The woman you gave it to me. You know what? That woman that you gave to me, she did it. It's her fault. And then I love how the enemy is still working here because when we sit in blame, it is always the enemy never wanting us to move towards repentance, always wanting us to move away from our own places of responsibility that will bring us back into communion with God. So then she blames the serpent. Nobody takes responsibility because once we confess and once we admit, we now are in a place of invitation to move back into relationship with God. So blame will always be one of our factors of moving us away from the heart of God and towards the enemy that says, you're on your own. And so God is now saying, as he looks them in the eyes, so the Lord God says to the serpent, I love that they say what happened kind of, you know, they don't totally admit it. It's like my kids. I'm like, who did it? I don't know. He did it. You know, they're always blaming each other. And then we have to get them in the room and we're like, okay, who's telling the truth? (laughs) And somehow they're still blaming each other. I'm like, one of you is lying. (laughs) And it's not me. We begin to see here that it's almost like he hears what happens. And before he addresses his children, and you need to get this, he actually goes to the real source. Before he addresses what will happen, consequences, restoration, he needs to take care of the real source of the problem. So the Lord God says to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal, and you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman And between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. I wanna go through a couple of things here, because I think it's important before we get to even more of what I wanna share. What does Jesus do? And how do we see the Father respond when sin has entered? And I want you to begin as I'm giving you this story. Remember, this is who you come from, this is your story. This is is the foundation of what makes you you today is these stories, these er-beginning stories. So here, what do we see the father do when his kids disobey and when sin enters? One, he pursues. First and foremost, now the God I know, the God I was raised to know, not the God I know now, but the God I was raised to know does not pursue. He condemns. That's what I grew up thinking and feeling. That when I messed up, it wasn't, where are you, Carrie? It was like, how dare you, Carrie? How could you do this? You've heard that I love you. You saw the felt board. I died, rose again. You should, you should be better. And so for me, when I would mess up, I didn't hear, where are you, sweet daughter? I heard, how could you? But this is not what we see as a beginning story. What we see is a heart of pursuit. Where are you? And number two, and this is so important, that God, Jesus, the heart of the Father, begins to engage the shame. He doesn't bypass it. He doesn't just say, where are you? It's all good, we're fine. No. Because to have right relationship with God is not to come in and know that he loves you and leave it at that. It is that he wants to engage the shame that is actually keeping you bound. Because freedom will not just come by you going, God loves me, forget it all. No, he has to start breaking the bonds of shame that you have committed to. And so what happened was in the garden, they made a deal, a a contract if you will, with the enemy. The moment they took that bite and sin entered in, they wrote a contract. I am naked and ashamed. And what does God want to do? Jesus wants to come and he wants to bring the shame to the light. Bring them out of hiding and say, why are you naked? Because we ate of the tree that we were not supposed to. And they are not met with condemnation. You'll see in just a second. They are met with number three, defense. Jesus, instead of addressing them in the moment, he'll get to them, but he defends them first. Your father defends you. As the arrows are coming, as the accusations that you didn't even know when you were a child that were coming at you, that Jesus wants to come, bring the shame into the light so that you no longer have to hide. And he wants to defend you against the very real enemy that has attacked you. And you know what you have done? You have made it all your fault. I am bad, I am unworthy, I am not good, I better hide. And so you try your best and you sow your fig leaves and you try to cover up the very parts that feel ugly and feel yucky and feel embarrassing or humiliating. And although you show up to church on Sunday, you come with fig leaves. And Jesus is saying, let's come into the light. Tell me about your fig leaves. And before he begins to address, The sin and the shame that they're holding, he turns to defend, and he puts Satan on his belly. Number four, there are consequences to sin. We feel them all the time. We know that there's consequences to sin. We know that there's consequences when we do things that are outside the will of God, but we have it so convoluted that those consequences are the things that keep us from God. No, the consequences are from the actions of sin and the love of God brings us back into relationship with Him. So when these consequences come, God doesn't leave them hopeless. You see, he begins to give a foreshadowing. Can you see the story playing out? The foreshadowing in verse 10 says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. Now the womans that means that her and Satan are not gonna, they're not gonna be friends, okay? Which, great. And between your offspring and her offspring, I will strike your head, or he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Basically what this is saying is there will be a time for a while, Satan, that you will run, that you you will try your best. And ultimately, you will strike the heel of God. But in the end, he will crush your head. And this is the hope that happens in the midst of the fall. You see, as God is defending, he's also proclaiming the hope that the consequences are for a moment, but hope is not lost. Your shame did not keep you out of right relationship with me. In fact, because we have relationship and your shame is brought into the light, there is now hope for redemption. Scholars like to call this the the first time, it's called the Proto-Evangelium, which is basically the first gospel. It's the very first moment that the gospel, the good news was ever shared. Adam and Eve, Jesus and Satan, (laughs) and the gospel, the good news, that although you have eaten, and although your body will die, you will live forever with me. And then the fifth thing that Jesus does, and it's one of the most beautiful things, is that he partners with his kids, the very kids that turn their back on God. The very kids that ate when they said they weren't supposed to eat, he looks at them and he says, out of you, I am going to give the line of the Messiah that will come. And through you, your mess, your mistake, all of it, through you, a savior is gonna come. And we're gonna partner together to bring about the restoration of the world. It's beautiful. So what does this even mean? Great. Cool. Eden, cool story. Got it. What does this really have to do with today? And I want I want to fast forward because the plot twist <laughs> the plot twist is they should have died. And it should have been over. And God and Jesus and Holy Spirit should have looked at each other and said, "Yeah, that didn't work out." That was I mean, we had two in and jeez, They can't keep it together. We gave them everything they wanted. They wanted more. Well, why do even give them a tree anyway? Because God wants relationship, not robots. Right? So he goes, "If, if you want to be with me, I want to be with you. And if you don't want to be with me, it will break my heart. But I give you a choice. The choice is yours. And God wants relationship so much so that he will allow his own son to come from a line of a woman and a man that turned their back on his goodness. That's how, like, that's how big. You won't ever get fully how much he loves you. You just won't get it. Your brains can barely handle it. The hardest part for me for this next period of weeks And through the various teachers that will be teaching will not to be to convince you of how terrible you are. You're very well convinced of that because you have an enemy that has been whispering since you were little how terrible you are. And yet, I truly believe that what God wants to do in this next week's of this series is to begin to whisper into your ear, he is lying to you. You are good. And I made you for goodness. I made you for the garden and I want to partner with you. In John uh, chapter 21, I want to make this just kind of real. Many years has gone by. Lots of procreatings happened in the Bible. There's lots of people on the land and Messiah Jesus has finally come. He's lived a ministry with disciples, which are just a bunch of knucklehead people that really don't ever know what's going on. But they're just like, I don't know, it's cool, we're raising people from the dead, and I don't know, there's like flows and fishes, and I don't even know. And they just keep following him around, right? Even to the moment that he dies, they're like, well, that was a good run. They just didn't even get it, you know? And which just makes me feel so good about myself. <laughs> because I'm like, you're real, right? You're real, Kate? You know? I mean, it's just a bunch of knuckleheads, a bunch of misfits, one good guy. That's just where we are. And, and then there's Peter. <laughs> Peter is loud mouthed. he's a zealot, he's, the, he's like the guy that's like, I got your back, man, I'm with you all the way. And then when real like struggle comes, he's like, deuces, you know, I'm out. <laughs> and he leaves and this truly happens. He is, is Jesus' best friend. And when push comes to shove and it comes down to him and Peter was like, I'll go to the ends of the earth with you, Jesus. I am your, I mean, Peter changes his name from Simon Peter, which means pebble to Peter, which means rock. I mean, it's pretty awesome. And Peter's like, yeah, I'm your rock. You know, I'm the rock. We're all thinking of the rock right now. (laughs) And honestly, fair. So, I mean, that's, that's where Peter is, right? He's like, I'm with you. And then When the time comes, Jesus is left alone. Peter betrays him, turns his back on him. We know the story. Here's what I love about the story is that Jesus rises again and he goes into this upper room where all the disciples are hanging out and they're just like lamenting and like, what are we gonna do with ourselves? They stole the body. You know, they're just like a hot mess. And Jesus shows him and he walks in there and he's like, I don't know, he just kind of, I don't know how it really worked, but it's probably really cool, right? you just like, star tracks into the room you know and he's like showing them the here's my scars and you know and then doubting thomas i'd totally be doubting thomas a hundred percent all of you would be doubting thomas hey jesus rose again like yeah i'm gonna need to see that guy i'm gonna need to see the scar i'm gonna need to touch him of course of course don't get don't be so hard on thomas right because we're all thomas and all the other ones could be mad at Thomas, but they got to see him. <laughs> so not fair. So here's Peter. He sees Jesus. And you would think in that moment he'd be like, yeah, all right, man. Like, you're back, dude. High five, you know. He doesn't. He sees him. And it says in the scripture that Peter decides to go back to his old life. Why? Shame. Shame. And I don't think that anybody else knew, and I don't know, I've looked it up. I can't find it. Maybe some of you can share with me. But I don't think Peter went around telling all the disciples what he did. They all scattered, it says. But Peter in his heart knew what he did. Fig leaves, covered up. He said, I'm cool, Jesus is back, but there is no way that Jesus is gonna wanna have a relationship with me and there is no way that he's gonna wanna use me. I said I was his rock. I said I would be there. I said I was his road dog, that I would never leave him, that I would never, I I would never. In fact, he even looked at me and said, get behind me, Satan. And I didn't know what that totally meant, but I was like, "I'm I'm gonna press past that. I'm gonna be there for you, Jesus. And I wasn't. And the reality was when he saw Jesus, and I know it to be true because I know it in my own life that the moment he saw Jesus, he was so glad he was alive, but he was disqualified. So what did he do? Fig leaves. He went back to fishing. He goes back to fishing. The very place that he thought, this is all that is for me because I am disqualified, I'll just go back to my old life. But Jesus, Jesus comes in, in John 21, verse 12. He's standing on the edge just to paint the picture. He's standing on the edge and I don't have time to get into all of this. Just, I have so much to share. With you. It's so good. The Bible's awesome. Get your Bibles out. Just get your popcorn and get your Bibles because it's an awesome story. And if you tell me it's boring, you're not reading it right or you're not listening to the right pastor. To <laughs> so make it interesting, Pastor. Because it's interesting. So here's Jesus. He's standing on the shore, a couple of the disciples and Peter. It's so good. I hope you guys get this last part because it's the best part of my whole message. So he's in the he's in the boat and they're fishing and he's like, "Oh, go you know, throw the nets on the other side." You know, You know, going back to what had already happened. Throw the nets on the other side. This is how they started out. And they get the nets and it comes it comes back with all the fish and they're like, "Okay, that's Jesus." You know, disciples and Peter. And they they row up and Jesus is cooking some food. I love this. Come and have breakfast, Jesus says. None of the disciples dared to ask him. I love the disciples. They're just so scared, and I just love it because so am I. Okay, so we, who, who are you? They didn't, they, dare, they didn't dare ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord, and Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them He did the same with the fish. And there's so much in this correlation to the the last supper. There's just so much, but I don't have time. Uh, Come back and gave him bread and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples and he was raised, since he had been raised from the dead. Now, verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. Notice, he's not calling him Peter anymore. In reference to hey, you've gone back. You've settled for less than what I have for you. You've gone back to your old story and to your old ways. And he begins to say, why are you hiding? And Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time, he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Tend to my sheep, he told them. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. And he, as he asked him, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. Three times. I wanna paint this picture for you because it's so important for you to understand. Here they are sitting, having breakfast. The other disciples don't know what has happened. And Jesus is never about shame and humiliation. So instead of saying, hey, Peter, why did you deny me those three times? No, no. Peter knew exactly what was going on and Jesus knew exactly what was going on and the other disciples were none the wiser. But what was happening in that moment was honor but also an engagement of shame. Not shame to condemn, but shame to free. You no longer are tied to this, so for the very three times that you denied me will be the very three times that you can proclaim your love for me. But something was happening in the midst of this. You see, as Peter is proclaiming his love for Jesus, Jesus is proclaiming his love for Peter. I will not embarrass you. I will not shame you. You and I both know what happened, but your shame will encounter my love and it will transform you. And that is what happened in that moment that other disciples are none the wiser. And let me be honest with you, it can happen right now. As Jesus is speaking to your heart, to the places of your shame, to the places that you wanna cover with fig leaves, the stuff that if anybody knew what was really going on, they wouldn't wanna be around me. And right now he is whispering, he's saying, I want you to know I see it child, but you don't gotta hide anymore. I will pursue you. You see what was happening around that breakfast meal, listen, was the garden Jesus, pursuing Peter, Jesus, defending Peter, loving Peter, and then calling him to tend just like the garden, just like the restoration. When the very beginning before sin was entered, what was Adam to do? Tend, care, protect, He's calling him back to the garden and I believe that he's calling all of us back to the places of pure relationship, right relationship, abundant relationship. Does this mean that we will not struggle with sin? Of course not. The side of heaven, we have an enemy. An enemy that is hell bent on you minimizing your pain, your shame and your calling because he knows that if you fully understand how much access you have to the love of God, it would cover a multitude of sins and you would be empowered to free those around you. What happened then to Peter? What happens to him as he encounters this kind of love, as he encounters this kind of redemption, as he encounters this kind of repentance? Oh, I could do a message on repentance because we all got it wrong. Because repentance has been this word that the enemy has used to to, to sound like condemnation. and You better repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Which I think the tone is, repent, child, for the kingdom of God is here. You no longer have to be bound to the places of your figleys, but you can actually be free. You see, the invitation for the prodigal was the invitation to the party. Repentance with the tone of a father that loves you, the actual tone of how he speaks and what he says about himself as he spoke to Moses and said, I am a God of compassion. The tone is, why are you hiding? What has happened? We ate, we sinned. And he looks and he says, I will send a Messiah. Messiah. Who will rescue you will you partner with me what what i i I broke the i broke the commands I, i i ate the fruit i i messed up i looked at this i did this i slept with this i all the things and he goes i know but when you come back into my presence when your shame is seen through the grid of my love, when you repent and come back to the party, this will no longer have the bound on you that it has. The problem is, we don't, we don't fight or name or see the real enemy. The story. The story is not just about Peter or Adam and Eve Or even Jesus in the fullness, the story is about you. His relentless pursuit of you. You're no different than Adam and Eve. It's the same story and the same accusation. You need to have more of this right now. Instant gratification. The food looks good. It tastes good. I'm hungry. I should eat it. Same thing. Three lies of sin. I need it. It'll make me fulfilled. I can control this every time, like a cycle. Because in the moment, instead of dealing with the shame, the pain, the hurt, what has been done to us, the lies that we have believed, we tuck it away, we push it down, and we go, behold, I'm a new creation. All things are gone. Behold, I'm new. And that is true. But it's not the truth of the whole story. You see, there is an enemy. And I know we don't like to talk about sin and the enemy, and it freaks us out but you have authority. And that authority doesn't come when you broad brush a story or you make it for somebody else or the story is for all the good people. When you broad brush the story, you minimize your story and you minimize your power. And we're tired, I'm so tired. Aren't you tired friend? Aren't you tired coming into the garden or coming into church, to hearing about a garden, hearing about uh, the story of Peter and Rahab and Jesus and the garden. And you go, these are all great stories, but I feel terrible. I feel miserable and anxiety is at an all-time high and I can't understand this world. And to be honest with you, if anybody was knowing what I was doing late at night, they wouldn't wanna be around me. Aren't you tired of being bound and trying with the best human efforts to sow fig leaves and cover up the parts of your shame when Jesus says, I know it feels scary, but when the exposure comes, you will not be met with condemnation. You will be met with care and hope and love and truth and power. That will no longer move you from behavior to behavior, but it will move you into heart transformation and set you free. This is what's being promised. My story. I have a story. Little girl wanted to dance on stages and be, on, be with Oprah. I had big dreams at eight but my home didn't produce a garden-like atmosphere. And here's the reality, none of yours did. Good parents, not good parents, that's not the point. The point is, is that there has been a real enemy. And if I could speak truthfully and not to freak you out because you don't need to be, but he's been after you and you know it. And he has whispered things like, get small. Hide, take another hit. because to feel the reality of what you're in is to feel the reality of the shame. And so you run and you hide. And I know hiding, I know hiding in drug abuse. I know hiding in an affair. I know hiding in a divorce. I know hiding in ministry. I know hiding, but he kept coming. And he kept whispering and he kept calling and he kept saying, Sweet daughter, why are you hiding? Because you don't know what I did. I heard you walking and I had to hide because I took a bite and I knew it was I knew it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't have done it. And I keep doing it over and over again. And I keep going to church and I keep serving and I keep preaching and it keeps messing up. And he keeps pursuing and defending and then calling me. The very place that Peter was denying Christ, the very place of his shame was in the hands of God. The very place that God used him to change the world where his voice spoke against God. God said, in my hand, your voice will bring glory and favor and grace to the world. You see the particularities of your story are the particularities of your purpose. Because something begins to rise when you start to encounter the love of God. It's like this, hell no, not on my watch. Not on my watch will another man or woman come into my presence and hear that they are bound by shame. No one will do that. Why? Because I have experienced being bound by shame and I have experienced being free. So when you minimize your story, when you think it's no big deal, I'm 60 years old, who cares? I believe in this moment right now, Jesus is calling to you. And he's saying, yes, we've got a journey ahead. But right now, the plot twist, the plot twist is what meant for evil, God means for good. He wants to take you back to the garden. He wants to take you back to the places where your heart was free. He wants to take you and remind you who you were created to be, that you were created for goodness and purpose. And as the enemy has come in and lied to you, is God really good? Does he really love you? And I'm here to say the scripture is here to say that the tone of God and repentance is kind. And it's good. And the places that feel scary and fragile and small are the places that he wants to come in and say, are you ready? Are you ready to allow this place to come into my presence? It's gonna be ugly, God. It's gonna be exposing. I don't want you to see this. I've already seen it. And I'm still coming and I'm still loving and I'm still for you. And in fact, your story in my hands will produce freedom for you and the world around you. This is the promise of the word of God. This is the promise of the the dying father on a cross that loves you. Forgive them for they know not what they do. But I will die because there is hope and redemption for my kids, because the garden is here and they are made for goodness. And I will come and be a sacrifice for everything that they try to, in man's attempt, cover up with fig leaves. And I will come one after the other and pursue, I see you, I hear you, I have a purpose for you. Don't minimize what the enemy has done. Let's bring it to the light and use it for my glory and for the kingdom of God. It's unique and powerful and mighty and good. We come into this space. Don't check a box for Sunday morning. Don't come in here just to hear it and then go out the same. May it not be. May you come into this garden right now, into this space with fig leaves on and say, okay, maybe for the first time in my life, I will admit, I will get honest. I came in hiding, covered up, looking great, but no more. I want more for my life. I want abundance and I want freedom and I want truth. If the truth sets free, then we have to start getting honest and allow him to come in, may hope collective. Be a place where hope rises in the midst of the dirt and the pain and the anguish, but in the hands of God begins hope that changes the world. I'm gonna ask you to do something just for a minute I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and, and maybe you don't want to close your eyes but there's that paper that you wrote uh, about worship and, and I love that and, and you can do it on there. You can just think it in your head but I want you to take a minute right now. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna allow you to have a second because here's the thing. I don't wanna just speak at you. Who cares? But if God is speaking to your heart right now, don't miss it. And if he is starting to give you a vision or a story or a moment, or maybe even a word or a phrase, something that has plagued you, something that has felt confusing, something that has felt painful, and, and, and it keeps coming up and you, you can't let it go. Holy Spirit, right now, in this moment, will you speak to the hearts of your children? Uh, so many of them, all of us, areas of our life, covered in fig leaves, and you are coming in the breeze and the cool of a Sunday morning. Walking, and you are whispering you're whispering to the man who is 65 years old who, who thought that it should just, she just be, should be better by now and, and things should just be better by now and, and it's so silly that he still hurts about that and so he just pushes it down further or, or the woman who could barely get up this morning but, but she put on her clothes and, and, and she got here but the reality is when the lights are out and nobody's around, the darkness feels overwhelming. God, would you meet them right now in this moment that this isn't a church service just to fill their minds but this is an encounter with God in the garden That speaks to their fig leaves and moves past their shame and into the presence of love. In this moment, God. Sacred, holy moment. Bunch of misfits. One good God meeting us in the places of our shame. Write it down. Where is he inviting you into? What's he wanting to say? If the tone is anything but kindness, it's not from the Father. So I rebuke it. Your voice is good and it is kind and it speaks to our creation. The creation, the embodiment of us living is the kingdom of God. Children, Father, that pursues when we hide. Come out of hiding. Enjoy the splendor of the garden. Taste of the good food see the good presence feel the love and the grace that wants to lavish you in this moment in jesus name
1: here's where
2: Father, you are giving us this invitation to come back to you and to come back to the goodness that you created us for and God with everything that is inside of us we want to say yes to that invitation to that invitation back to you to that invitation back to ourselves to each other and to partnering with you with what you want to do for this world which is to extend that invitation to everyone. And so God, thank you for the kindness that doesn't let us stay where we are, but is calling us back to you time and time again. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for joining us today, whether you're in the room or watching online. We're so glad that we got to share this time with you. We are going to be spending the next few weeks in this series called Plot Twist, and we're going to keep digging in to these spaces of what does it mean for us to accept the invitation of God back into wholeness, back to the garden, back to the goodness that he created us for and the goodness that he wants to work in the world. So we're looking forward to sharing these next few weeks with you. And for those of you that are wanting to take this to a different level and maybe ask the question, what does this look like for me personally? We're gonna spend time on Sunday mornings doing this, but we're also starting a new thing called Storyline. Storyline is a new course that we're offering where we have trained up uh, leaders to ask questions, to be good listeners, and to invite you into spaces where we get to explore what does it mean for us to move into the freedom of our God-given calling. Now, what does that have to do with story? When it comes to our calling and our purpose and how God is inviting us to participate in the goodness that he's doing in the world, it starts with exploring what it means for us to be part of God's story, what it means for him to step into our stories and how moving into the future and what he's calling us into means embracing both the brokenness and the beauty of our story so far. In two weeks, we're gonna start up this nine week course. And if you're interested in being a part of that, if you have questions, if you wanna sign up, I'm gonna be out in the lobby. So come and find me afterwards and we'll get to talk about what does it mean to participate in this and to move forward into what God is calling us into. So I'll be out in the lobby, look forward to seeing you there. If you're online, Joe's gonna drop a link in the chat that you can follow to get more information on Storyline. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are so glad that you decided to carve out some time to be here because we want you to feel that invitation into what god is doing in the world and not just what he's doing out in the world but what he wants to do in your life we would love to help you get to know a little bit more about us so if you want to take out your phones you can text or text what are we texting hopeco there we go text hopeco to 97000. You'll get a link back from us you can take that to the welcome center afterwards we'll get you a little bit more information about us and we will also make a donation on your behalf to one of our community hope partners so you let us know where you want that donation to go and we'll make that donation on your behalf but we're just excited that you're here with us today and that you're on this journey with us and while our guests are helping us give generously we also want to say thank you to those of you who are giving to the hope collective on a regular basis You are the ones that are helping us be a place of hope, not just in Lake Zurich, but in Lake County and beyond. And so thank you for your continued generosity to this group of people that is joining God on his mission to bring hope to the world around us. Uh, If you'd like to give a donation today, you can do that by dropping a donation in the buckets on your way out. You can also text THCO to 779 or you can always give online at thehopeco.com slash give however you choose to give. Thank you for living like generosity is your norm so we can share the hope of Jesus with the world around us. One final thing, women in the room, Hope Co's Women's Ministry, we'd love to see you at one night this Friday, February 26th, beginning at 7 o'clock. This event is both on campus and online. It'll be time of worship, a time of connection. You get to hear from Natalie Mudd, a message for the women in the room. However you choose to join Hope Co's Women's Ministry, we'd love to see you participate in one night. Again, that's this Friday at 7 o'clock on campus and online. So make sure you don't miss that. Thank you again, for being here today. We're looking forward to continuing this series with you next week. We love you. We are praying for you. Let's go and be part of what God wants to do in the world and in our hearts in the week ahead. We love you guys. See you again soon.